0: And we are in a series where we've been talking about how to be transformed from thinking selfishly to thinking selflessly. And and in our first lesson, we talked about with an overview of the book that you have the Apostle Paul showing ultimately uh, it's not about us. It's, uh, It's about Jesus. And that's been his big focal point throughout this book to keep drawing our attention to the fact that We can't think selfishly. It's not about us. We observed in the first four chapters that the Apostle Paul spends an awful lot of time saying, we need to just regard ourselves as servants. We are simply servants, nothing more. And that is an important framework to have for selfless thinking. And last week from chapters 5 through 7, we talked about how God says, I own you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price and therefore glorify God with your body. And therefore this would also help in transforming us to selfless thinking by understanding these bodies are given to us by God. They've been purchased by God through the blood of Christ. And we are to use then our bodies for his glory and not for our own selfish purposes. And that brings us now this morning that we are going to look at chapters 8 through 10 and talk about the selfless rights that Paul now addresses. Now, sometimes when we are in 1 Corinthians and you look at chapters 8 through 10, you may have the tendency to want to blow past those three chapters because They're talking about meat sacrificed to idols and I don't have that problem and so let's get on with the book and jump to some other section of 1 Corinthians and yet it's important to realize that the problem of how they were uh, using these foods and eating these foods in regards to the idolatrous practices are only symptomatic of the ultimate problem and that's what we're going to zero in on and focus on this morning is the problems that you see Paul identifying that led them to think that they could behave in the way that they were in, in the first three verses of 1st Corinthians 8 you have your Bible's 1st Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to get started in, in the beginning as he starts laying out uh, the issue before them these first three verses really Bring about a crushing blow to selfish kind of thinking. You'll notice in verse 1 that you have them saying that we we have knowledge. There's something that they know that these Christians think vindicates them in doing what they are doing. You'll notice it in verse 4. It becomes clear what they know. He says, we know that an idol is nothing and that there is only one God. And so in their framework and in their perspective, we know there's only one God. We know that food sacrificed to idols is nothing. It's meaningless. And so therefore, it is perfectly acceptable for us to participate in eating in in these foods. And I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul does here. He says there in verse 1 that you all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I told you that's one of my favorite lines when we were doing the overview of this book for how the apostle Paul say, if you think you have this knowledge and you can just do what you want because you know, verse two says, you don't know anything. You you think you've got it all figured out, huh? Then you really don't know anything at all. And I want us to notice what the Apostle Paul is putting his finger on. He doesn't say that their knowledge is wrong. Their knowledge is right. Idols are nothing. There is only one God. He goes about that all the way through verse six of that section. But the problem is, you'll notice that he says there in verse seven, however, not everyone who has this knowledge for some have been so used to idolatry up to now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. He says, you have this knowledge, but your knowledge has led you to selfishness And arrogance because you are not considering the impact of your knowledge on other people. It's like, sure, you know these things, but have you thought about what your knowledge is doing to another person? Have you thought about the impact it may be having on their faith? Have you thought about the repercussions of what your knowledge may do to someone else? In fact, you'll see him be really blunt about that in verse 9 when he says, Be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. I want you to see that there is zero argument over the information. There is only one God. Idols are nothing. Food is food. And it all doesn't matter. But even though they were right, it didn't make them right. Isn't that interesting for the Apostle Paul to say that? Your knowledge is completely correct, and yet your actions are wrong. You've got it right on the nose. One God, idols, nothing. It's just food. Who cares? And yet the way you are dealing with your knowledge is sinful. You're wrong in what you're doing. Even though you may be right you may be completely wrong in what you are doing. And I think this is such an important concept that the apostle Paul puts forward when it comes to knowledge is that your right knowledge does not vindicate your actions. You know, we have a saying like that. The ends don't justify the means. Okay, well, Paul said that first. <laughs> you might be completely right, but that doesn't matter. How you handle yourself and what you are doing does matter in regards to that knowledge. All of chapter eight is affirming everything that they know. And yet he makes the point to them over and over again about the importance of their actions with that knowledge. So much so that he says in verse 13, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. He says, You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if I know that knowledge is going to cause a stumbling block, cause somebody to be weak in faith, I won't use it. I won't use that knowledge. I think that's an, such an important point when it comes to talking about selfless thinking among the people of God. Think about the spiritual knowledge that you have. Think about some doctrinal topic, doctrinal issue, some stance you have, some important belief that you have. And I would like for you to consider how long did it take for you to come to that understanding? How long did it take for you to get to the point where you have that point of view and have that stance and feel comfortable in that point of view? Or to maybe put the shoe on the other foot. How many times have you changed your mind on something? How many times do you thought I'm sure this text looks and means just this. And then you come to it a few years later somebody teaches on it. Or you read it again and go, wow, I just... That wasn't meaning that. That means something new. I understand this now. And the point that I want to get at is just because we may have knowledge... Doesn't give us the right to blow up other people who haven't come to that point of knowledge yet. How long did it take for you to get there? And how much grace are you going to give for them to come to that understanding? Uh, I, I, I've mentioned that idea to you many times that so often we will spend years of our spiritual walk with God and we will come to these understandings and gain this spiritual maturity and be right. In our knowledge, but we will expect somebody to come to our same point of view within a moment. No room to give me some time. I've never seen that before. Let me think about that. Let me study that. Let me work on that. Let me chew on that. I think that is so important for us if we're going to be the people of God and have no divisions among us and be of the same mind that Paul started this letter with as he wrote to them. And that was the big thesis point of what he wants as they would come together in that way is to understand that you may have knowledge, but the goal of knowledge is not to wreck other people's faith. It's not to destroy them, but to help them. To help them grow, to move to that point, and to give people the time to do that. You can imagine what this would have looked like in, in the Corinthian church. Here is somebody who says, oh, it's just an idol. Idols are nothing. That's just, you know, a piece of stone, a piece of wood. It's whatever. And the other person is very conflicted by this. And they just go, well, what's the matter with you? Come on, you can see it's just a rock. Eat that. Notice the Apostle Paul is saying, no, you can be right about that. There is one God and it is a piece of rock. But don't wreck the faith of other people. That's not the point. I think it is so important that we see that it is possible to be right and do wrong. It is possible to have knowledge and have a spiritual knowledge and yet use it in a way that is destructive. And that's what the apostle Paul first puts his finger on in moving us from selfish thinking to selfless thinking is so often we can say, I'm right. I know I'm right and use that as a weapon to destroy the faith of other people. Paul powerfully says here in in verses twelve and thirteen is that i 'm not going to wound their conscience for doing so i 'd be sinning against Christ, and if it needs me, I would never even eat meat again if that would cause someone to fall. That is not my goal now what is interesting about that is Paul wants to prove this in chapter nine because I think one of the things that we have the tendency to do, it's our natural inclination is, well, since I have this knowledge, I have a right to do something or not do something. This is where he moves to in chapter nine. Since I have this point of view, I have the right to do something. And I want you to notice in these first 17 verses of chapter 9, the whole point that the Apostle Paul makes is how he has forfeited numerous rights as a human, as a Christian, as an apostle for the sake of the gospel, and even as a Roman. He has forfeited all kinds of rights. For example... He says in chapter 9 verse 1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus? Or am I are you not the work my work in the Lord? And so here is his defense. Verse 4, Don't we have a right to eat and drink? Verse 5, Do I not have the right to have a, a, a believing wife like the other apostles? Verse 6, Do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Verse 7, Who serves as a soldier in his own expense? who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock. What he does is he starts saying, I have all kinds of rights. And he says, I have the right to eat and drink. He says, I have the right to be married. He says, I have the right to work for a living. He says, I have a right to be paid for the labor that I do as an apostle. But look at verse 12. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says I've got all kinds of rights. I have a right as an apostle, I have the right as a Christian, I have the right as a Roman, that's what he means by am I not free? I'm a Roman citizen. And a right as a human being. And he says, there's all kinds of things that I could do as an apostle, as a Christian, as a Roman citizen, that I don't do. Because we endure all things to not cause any kind of block or hindrance to the gospel of Christ. He would never, ever, ever want to exercise his right. So that it would stop people from hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I will lay all these rights aside if it means the opportunity for people to hear the gospel. In fact, you see that in verse 18 when he says, I'm preaching the gospel and offer free of charge. And not make full use of my rights in the gospel. You see, the Corinthian church is saying, well, I've got rights. I can do things. I have knowledge and I have a right. And Paul says, you have the knowledge and your knowledge is correct, but I don't care about your rights. He says, I've got all kinds of rights and I lay them aside for the gospel. I do not make use of my rights in that way. And notice what he means by that as he goes from verse 20 to verse 23 as was just read for us a few moments ago, that what you see Paul doing is doing whatever it takes to be able to connect with people to win them to the gospel. Verse 19, although I am free from all and not anyone slave, I've made myself a slave into everyone in order that I might win some people say Paul is a Roman citizen and he is free Paul says I don't care sure I'm free but I'll make myself a slave to win people he goes on and says in verse 20 to the Jews I became like a Jew so I could win the Jews Verse 21, I went to those who were without the law and I I became like one without the law. To the Gentiles, I became like them so that I could win them. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak. Is Paul weak? Does anybody know? Paul, you are not weak. (laughs) You, You know. And Paul says, I don't care. I will go to the weak and I will make myself weak so that I can... Become all things. Verse 22, that I will become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. I have always found that sentence powerful. I have always found that sentence to be a guiding idea to my work. To do all things. Toward all people so that by any means possible, I can save some. That Paul does not want anything to get in the way of the gospel. And if there's anything that he would perceive to be a hindrance, he sets it aside. I'll be weak with the weak. I'll be a Jew among the Jews. I'll be a Gentile among the Gentiles. I'll be a slave among the slave. I will do whatever it takes so that I can reach all people and by any means possible, be able to save some Paul. Why are you doing that? He gives two answers. He gives two answers there. Verse 23, now I do this because of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Notice the picture Paul gives. If we don't lay down our rights and we don't set those things aside, he says, we're not going to enjoy the blessings of the gospel. I do this so that I can share in the gospel. And then notice the final few verses of chapter nine, a a text that we often rip out of its context where we talk about running the race. And I, you know, buffet my body, you know, buffet my body uh, so that I can make sure that I'm not disqualified in the race. But what's the context of disqualification? Using your rights. He says, I'm laying those rights aside because I don't want to be disqualified as I run this race. I don't want to be disqualified in the slightest. What I want us to think about in regards to what the Apostle Paul is saying is that it is selfish thinking that says, well, I have a right. I have a right. I mean, That should just be obvious to us if I'm thinking that way, that that's selfish thinking. I'm thinking about myself. Well, I have a right to do something. And notice how Paul has stepped into that and says, I have all kinds of rights. I have rights as a Roman citizen. I have rights as an apostle. I have rights as a Christian. And he goes about describing for half a chapter how he didn't use any of them. I have all kinds of rights. And I want us to think about for ourselves how much we can have the tendency to value our rights. Because Paul is asking important questions to us. Is using our right and holding on to our right worth the harm of the gospel? Say, so, well, I have a Right. Yeah, but is it harming people hearing the gospel? Is it getting in the way? Is our right worth damaging the faith of somebody else? Well, I have a right. Yeah, but what if that's hurting somebody else's faith? Is it worth that? Is our Right worth hindering people from seeing Jesus and hearing the gospel and believing. We have to be so careful that we are not allowing our worldly selfish thinking to interfere with the reach of the gospel. Because ultimately we need to ask ourselves, what does God say that really matters? Because we make things so important in our minds about, well, I have a right and boy, these circumstances are great or these circumstances are terrible. And Christians argue over all kinds of foolish things that are ultimately a harm of the gospel. The thing that matters is, are we going to use our knowledge to hurt the faith of other people or keep them from seeing Jesus? And are we going to use our rights in that way? I want you to think about what Paul is is laying out here. Corinthian Christians, your knowledge is right. Your actions are wrong. And the picture of the Christian is to forfeit your rights to be able to reach anybody. Is there a segment of our population in the world that we would say my rights are more important than showing them the gospel of Jesus. Or my knowledge is so right that it's worth the interference of causing people to not see Jesus or to hear the gospel. The gospel in and of itself is a big enough stumbling block, yes? It is... A huge monumental teaching about setting aside self, admitting your sinfulness and submitting your life to Jesus. That is a huge stumbling block to people as it is. Do we need to add others? Do we need more stumbling blocks on it? Do we need to add more things because of our knowledge or our rights that we have that we're going to cause these blocks and cause people to not be able to hear the gospel because of our other things? Be impacted by what Paul said. Let it hit your heart. If they were the weak, then he went to the weak and he became weak for them. And if they were the slaves, then he became a slave so that he could go get the gospel to them. And if he had to go to those with the law or outside the law, he became that too. So that they could hear the gospel and believe as well. I think it is so important that we just think about that. What we as the people of God are supposed to do is promote and boast in Jesus alone. That's what we reflect That's what matters. That's what we declare is Jesus and the gospel. And I hope that we would think about just the general mix of even this room right here. Everybody comes from different backgrounds and different teachings and different value sets and different locations and different cultures. I came from Southern California that immediately tells you something. Probably (laughs) we all come from different things. People who grew up in the pews and people who didn't grow up in the pews, people who come from different countries, people who come from different places in our country. We're all coming from different things. And do we understand that what we say and what we uphold and what we proclaim and what we make a big deal can be terribly much a stumbling block to somebody else who doesn't understand what you're saying? They're not coming from the same place as you. They don't understand what you're what you're getting at. We can't presume that the hundred people in the room, we all have monolithic thinking and we all just think the exact same way we don't. And we need to be very careful about how we perceive our rights and our knowledge and how we talk to one another about those things. I think if we were to ask the question about what would God say about this, if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, what would he say about our knowledge and our rights? How many times does God have to tell us that we forfeit our rights for the sake of the gospel? We just recently did the book of Philippians. That was like the message of the book of Philippians. Because here was the Philippian church and they have their rights as Roman citizens. And he just tells them over and over again, so what? By the way, don't forget, how many rights did Jesus lay down for you? He laid down human rights. He died. What right did he not lay down for us? He laid them all down. And when Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing. He refused to use his rights in an effort for the sake of the gospel. It is selfless thinking that will say, I don't care about my rights. I care about you. And I care about the gospel. That's the movement to selfless thinking. Sure, I've got rights. But I care more about you and I care more about the advancing of the gospel and I care more about the reflecting of Jesus than any of the rights that I have. That's what Paul said he ran around doing. And that's the message he's trying to get across to these Corinthians is that they would understand your knowledge could be spot on. You could be 100% right, though, I dare say, as human beings, we're probably not 100% right on anything. But let's just grant it to you. You are a hundred percent right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We lay down rights for the sake of the gospel, for the good of others, so that we can become all things to all people, so that by all means we might save some, and so that we do not disqualify ourselves, and so that we are not a hindrance or a stumbling block to those who have a weaker faith. Notice that really flows into chapter 10. Again, chapter 10 connects strongly to these prior two chapters and sometimes is taken out of its context here. But one of the things that you have laid out here is in these first 11 verses of chapter 10, what he does is he describes Israel in the past and his big point about them is a serious warning that they fell in the wilderness. They had the blessings of God They enjoyed fellowship with God. They enjoyed all kinds of things and observed miracles, and yet they did not make it. They fell short of the promised land. They fell. And I want us to see that that's the kind of thinking that he's getting at here is that this kind of acting on our knowledge and our rights is going to cause us to fall spiritually because focusing on rights, this is what I have the right to do. It causes selfish thinking. It has to Saying, look at me. I got these things. It's me. It's me. It's me. That's why he says in verse 12. So whoever thinks he stands, be careful lest you fall. The title of this slide comes from somebody I went to church with when I was in college in Kentucky. His name was Ronald, and he would say this regularly in class. And you can tell that it resonated with me because I'm thinking back to college, which was a super long time ago. My kids in college. But he would always say, you can't fall when you're on your knees. He would say that over and over again. You can't fall when you're on your knees. If you get down humbly before God, you're not going to fall. You're already down on the ground. You can't fall when you're on your knees. This is where Paul is going with this. He's looking at Israel and looking at their arrogance and saying, they fell in the wilderness. They Failed to see what God was doing in their lives, and therefore, let the person who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Big warning given. You're on a journey to spiritual shipwreck if your life is about your knowledge and your rights. You're going to fall. It's going to be a disaster, it's going to be a wreck. That's what he wants them to see. Look at the history of Israel. They were the people of God. They enjoyed the blessings. They saw the miracles and they lost it all. And it's so important for us to see that Paul is trying to move us from this kind of selfish thinking to selfless thinking. Let me pull in some final verses that tie that together. Chapter 10, verse 24. Notice what he says. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Put that on the coffee cup every morning. This is what it's about. Don't seek your own good. Stop thinking about self, your knowledge and your rights, but God. Look at verse 31. So, whether you eat or you drink, and can I underscore, or whatever you do? Okay, what falls in the category of whatever you do? Anything excluded? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So, we need to take an evaluation. Is what I'm doing for the glory of God? these rights for the glory of God? Is this knowledge for the glory of God? Am I doing these things for the glory of God? Am I promoting the glory of God? Is that what it's really about? Is that what I'm trying to show? Is the glory of God or is it something else? Whatever you do, even if it's down to eating and drinking. You know about that? I don't care how mundane you think what you're doing is. God should be glorified in what you're doing. Let God be glorified in it. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. It's not about us. Or look at the next line. Verse 32. Give no offense to the Jews, to the Greeks, to the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Do not give offense and he just starts listing groups of people by the way Jews and Gentile that's everybody (laughs) he just said outsiders Jews outsiders Gentiles and Christians Church of God don't give them offense they need to see the gospel that's what our role is That's what we proclaim. That's what we promote. That we try to do what's in the benefit of many so that they may be saved. What can I do with the knowledge that I have so that people can be saved? Not so that we can win arguments. Not so that we can just be right. Not that we can make a pile of noise on social media. Throw a pile of memes all over the place. Promote the gospel. People should see Jesus in us. And are we doing things and saying things that keep them from seeing Jesus? Because we're not becoming all things to all people. We're using our knowledge and we're using our rights. And we're not thinking about the good of others. Are those not strong enough? Okay, Paul ends on this then. Imitate Paul. Because he's imitating Jesus. Jesus. There's the slam dunk ender right there. (laughs) That's how he ends the section. Hey, everybody, Just you see what I did? Imitate me. Well, what did he just say? I have rights as an apostle. I have rights as a Roman citizen. I have rights as a human being. And I have rights as a Christian. And I throw them away. Because I will do whatever it takes to save some. I'll throw them aside. Yes, I'm free, but I don't care. I'll become a slave. No, I, 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 I'm not weak, but I'll be weak for the cause of the gospel. I will say and do things in a way to not be an offense so that I can reach people with the gospel by all means possible. That's the mentality that the Apostle Paul had. Stop seeking our own good. It doesn't matter if our knowledge is right, it doesn't matter what right we possess, seek the good of others, do everything for the glory of God, do not put stumbling blocks in front of other people, do nothing to hinder people from hearing the gospel and believing the gospel. Do what will benefit them to come to salvation. Instead of us thinking about our rights and our knowledge, we will think about how we can use our rights and our knowledge to give God the glory and to have people hear the good news. That's Paul's three chapters. Paul summed it up like this when he used the example of Christ in Philippians 2. Here's Christ, He's God. And he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. You set aside some rights? I'm God. I don't have to do that. Yeah. But he did. Let Christ be the example. Set aside rights, set aside privileges. I know you know, but what matters is the gospel. And that's how we move from selfish thinking to selfless thinking. It's about the glory of God and advancing the gospel so that when people see us, they see Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we live in such a toxic time. Lord, we live in a time where it's been an argument about everything. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to always to be able to say things and do things that show you and never become a hindrance to your good news. And Lord, forgive us for the times when we have used our knowledge to harm other people, used our knowledge in a way that became a stumbling block, damaged faith, kept people from seeing you. Forgive us, Lord, for the times when we have held on to our rights and valued them more highly than you. Valued them more highly than sharing the good news and helping people see the glory of you. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, help us to live outside of the fray of what our culture is doing so that people would just see you in us, nothing more. That beyond the fighting and beyond the politics and beyond the hate and beyond all the things that are said and done, that when people talk to us, all they see is Jesus and all they see is the glory of you. Lord, help us to be those people. Forgive us for when we haven't been that. And Lord, transform our hearts so that we would be selfless. Transform our hearts so that we would quickly lay down our rights, lay down privileges, because we want souls to be saved. Help us, Lord, help us in this pursuit. Forgive us for when we fail. And strengthen us to do far better in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's ruthless in this book, isn't he? But you see the problem that Corinth had. Selfish thinking's easy. Paul's to come in and say, listen, it's about the glory of God. Can we help you in any way come to Jesus? To be able to turn away from your sins and to see what our Lord has to offer. What God offers is something wonderful because it's beyond the mess of this life. It's beyond the mess of this world. It's beyond the mess of this culture. It's beyond the mess of all of this fighting that there is eternity in store for us. And we can look forward to being with our God for eternity if you would turn away from sin and to give your life to Jesus this very day, confess Him as your Lord and Master and Savior that you will follow with all of your heart, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We want you to do that today. And we help you do that. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sit?